Thanks, Mike. So good to see you all. I want to remind you, um, because we're not in the sanctuary and because of COVID, we don't have all of our the Bibles we normally have for you. So we encourage you, if you're at home, get your Bible out or get your app out if you're here too. You can uh, you know, bring your physical Bible, you know, go old school like me, physical Bible, or get your app out and pull up Galatians 2, because I am going to, uh, as we go through Galatians, I, I kind of quickly run through things, and you might want to follow through a, a little bit there. So we're in Galatians chapter 2, uh, as we continue in this book of uh, the letter to the Galatian church, to remind you uh, that there are these divisions over doctrine that threaten to divide the early church. And so Paul makes it a priority uh, to write this urgent letter to the Galatians to warn them about a false gospel. That's what we talked about the last two weeks. And so I want to remind us today as well that the true gospel revolves around us, not what we do, but what Christ has already done. That the simple gospel I want us to focus on today is that we're all desperately in need of God. We're all desperately far from God, but in Christ, God comes near to us. This is the simple and true gospel that not only that Jesus want to come, he had to come. He, he longed to be here with you. He wanted to come near. He wants to be here. Jesus took a cross he took on our sin, took on our shame, the simple message that it was neither being Jewish or as we'll hear today, being a Gentile, neither one of us could get close to God, nothing on our own merits. So whether religion or irreligion, it won't get you closer to God. It's only through Christ, the simple gospel. You can't get close to God by being a good person. You can't get close to God by, by being an agnostic. You can't get close to God by being religious or being spiritually enlightened, Jesus took the cross because none of us could get near enough to him. And so he came near to us, removing every barrier so that we could respond through faith, by his grace, to his salvation. We knew we couldn't make it to him without him. And so these past two weeks, we've been looking at the book of Galatians. We're going to continue on today. And Paul is writing to this group of churches uh, in this region, modern-day Turkey. And Paul is horrified, actually, to hear that they've abandoned these new converts. They've abandoned the true gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, Paul, reminds you, he's a Jewish Christian, uh, and he is task leading the evangelization, the sharing of the gospel planting of churches to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Those are all kind of three interchangeable terms when we look at uh, this section of scripture. And so now um, you have to keep in mind that this, this time, there's probably, you have the Jerusalem church full of all the original Christians, the Jewish Christians. And then you have all of these uh, newer Christians who are non-Jews, Gentiles, Greeks. And you have to maybe imagine about Half the church is Jewish and half of the churches, the people are non-Jews. And so with this growth, with the non-Jews who are becoming Christians, there's a controversy that has arisen and the controversy revolves around basically this one question. Shouldn't all Christians be required to follow the Judaic law, the Torah, like us original Christians? Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. The early church were Jews. Shouldn't all these new Christians be Jewish like us is the question. 
Shouldn't they do the things that, the way that we've always done them? Kind of reminds us, right, of that common phrase of every dying organization, right? We've always done it this way. It's the same question that's being asked. Now, Paul, keep in mind, is an expert in Jewish law. And so he says to those succumbing to this threat of thinking that I need the gospel plus something else, the threat of the Judaizers, those who are saying, you need to become more Jewish. Can you imagine that today? Without this happening 2,000 years ago, we would still have the expectation that we have to absorb all of the Jewishness of our Jewish Savior, as opposed to simply respecting it. That you have to, the more Jewish you get, the closer you get to God. And Paul is saying very clearly to respect and honor his Jewish background, but that's not the center of the gospel. Even though we've always done it that way, Paul is removing some barriers that we are going to see are going to help people get close to God. Paul says no to these Judaizers. All you need is Jesus. By grace, through faith alone, we'll see in another section. In verse one, if you're following along, take, take a look at verse one. <clears throat> Paul, what he's doing, he's sharing about one of his trips to the mother church in Jerusalem where he brings Titus, a Gentile, a non-Jew, a Greek convert. Now, I think this is referring to a trip described in Acts 11. Had a question after the first service uh, from a good friend of mine. He said, Tim, don't you mean Acts 15? So these two separate incidents, for those of you studying, for those of you at home, go and take a look. I'm referring, I believe, to when Paul has brought Titus to, an, to a moment where Paul is in Jerusalem in Acts 11. So just keep that in mind. And in Acts 11, in this story where Paul, we think, is in Jerusalem, where he purposely brings a non-Jew convert and confronts the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem. These are the, the top dogs. These are the, the, main, the main guys here. And so Paul is basically lifting up a test of faith, a test of doctrine that will uh, basically forge a path for the future of the church, the outreach to the non-Jews in particular. And he's confronting the Jewish Christian leadership in Jerusalem with this specific question. Do Gentile believers need to become more Jewish like us? To be close to God, do they need to become more Jewish? And so Paul's going to give a very clear answer. So you take a look at verse Two, Paul says he went up because of a revelation set before me. So here Paul actually setting his authority. He's saying, hey, I went up to Jerusalem, not because anyone summoned me. I went because the Lord told me. That's how tight I am with Jesus. I went because of a direct, a direct call by, by the Lord for me to go to Jerusalem. I did not come because I was summoned by any supervisor. So he's setting his authority here saying that it was from the Lord, not anyone else. What Paul is doing, he's presenting the, to the influential leaders, so you're going to see these names, Peter, James, John, these are the, the main guys, and he is presenting them with a challenge, basically, directly and indirectly, basically with a, are you going to support these Judaizers, these people who are saying it's Jesus plus Judaic log, Jesus plus something else, this false gospel, or will you support me and the simple gospel that you know to be true that Jesus gave directly to me and gave to you? It's Jesus plus nothing. Which team are you going to take? Paul is doing directly and indirectly. And then you take a look at verse three. Paul says, 
But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Get real comfortable with that word because it pops up a few times. Circumcised, circumcision, and uncircumcised. So now Titus, keep in mind, Paul's point is, is that he is not asked to get circumcised or to follow any Judaic law. Now, circumcision was expected for any uh, male in, in the uh, Jewish uh, context. If they wanted to be part of the spiritual community, they had to get circumcised. And this naturally continued on amongst the first Christians, who, by the way, were all Jews, right? And disciples were Jews in Jerusalem. And so guess what they did? They continued with their Jewish practices. This is automatic for them. Of course they would do that. Now, that's a pretty serious church membership commitment, circumcision, isn't it? And I want you to know, don't worry, our CPC 101 class next week, nothing like this at all. So it's very simple. But this is a very important thing for our, our Jewish friends to be part of the spiritual community, right? And so even this weekend, our Jewish friends are participating and celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and so gathering in Jerusalem, uh, thousands, thousands and thousands of people all around the world, not just Jerusalem, uh, recognizing this feast of trumpets and some of our Christian friends as well. Now, but here's the thing. Here's the difference. There is a difference between respecting our Jewish Christian roots and being demanded to observe them. Completely different. We should absolutely honor and respect our Jewish Christian roots. I can name a million ways we could celebrate these festivals and, and, of course, invite Jesus into the center of every one of these beautiful festivals. But there's a difference between respecting them and then being legalistically expected to follow them as if we're far from God. And there's actually, there's actually churches today that claim, if you're that are Christian, they claim to be Christian, that you have to be more Jewish. You have to keep following the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the Judaic law, per the way that Moses understood it in order for you to be close to God. So that's still something that happens today. So Paul's making the case in verse three here is this. I brought Titus, a non-Jew. And if none of the key leaders, if none of the big dogs, Peter, James, John, demanded the non-Jew to get circumcised or follow Judaic laws, then Galatians, hello, why are you guys trying to follow Judaic laws and listen to these liars? If the top people say just Jesus plus nothing else, why would you believe these other people, lesser people coming in and telling you you're far from God or Paul, Paul is leading you astray because you need some extra stuff to add to Jesus to be close to God. And then in verse four, Paul does what he does. He tells the Galatians that this issue was, it was already decided in the past. Don't listen to these false brothers who slipped in to spy on our, our freedom. Don't listen to them. They're just going to bring you back to slavery. And that's what it is. Paul makes this case. We'll, we'll get to Romans one day as well. But when you live under this legalism, Jesus plus anything else, you become a slave to it, become bound to it. Jesus plus anything else, you become a slave to something that's never meant to be part of the gospel. Why would you Galatians listen? And he mentions that you have freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. You can be a slave or you can be free. If you add anything to Jesus, you become a slave to it. I mentioned some last week, Jesus plus certain emotions. Some people will say, you have to look a certain way or, or clap a certain way or, or, or have certain kinds of feelings. If you don't have those, you're not close to Jesus. That's not true. Jesus plus anything else 
Jesus plus anything is not the true gospel. You have freedom in Christ. Don't be a slave to sin again. Don't fall for this new version of an old perversion. Jesus plus something else. Don't fall for it. You don't have to become more Jewish to be close to God. In verses five to six, as well, Paul continues on and says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. And then in verse six, and even those who seemed influential, they'd added nothing to me. There's that phrase. They added nothing to me. What Paul is even trying to say, again, the top leaders were right there with me with Titus. And they said, you don't need to add anything. And so Galatians, so church, why do you keep adding things to the gospel? Jesus plus legalism, Jesus plus being a good person, Jesus plus a, a, a certain kind of feeling, Jesus plus a certain way you're going to vote, Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Paul emphasizes in verses five through six, the truth of this gospel. It's still Jesus plus nothing. The gospel still is the depths of your sin and the greatness of God's amazing grace. That's still the gospel. Don't let it go. You see, what Paul is doing, he doesn't want any roadblocks to hinder the gospel. Paul's always trying to remove unnecessary roadblocks so that the gospel can be made clear and so that people can enter in the kingdom and people can grow in faith in Christ. And so friends, I am so glad for missionaries and evangelists today who remove every roadblock to the gospel uh, I'm thankful for ways that they adapt the gospel in ways that non-believers can understand. I'm so grateful for one of our own missionaries, Bonnie McKenzie, who's here at the 930 service, and she serves Wycliffe and, and serves at unreached people groups, and she's trans, helping translate the Bible into these unreached people groups' languages. Amen for removing roadblocks to the gospel. Amen to Martha Henry and her food pantry just up the road in Seaside. And she's putting out toilet paper and, and books and toys and food and, and produce. She's removing roadblocks to the gospel. She's praying for everything that goes out every morning that Jesus might be experienced and heard. That's her sermon every day, preaching to literally a hungry and needy world. Amen to our friends, Joni Erickson Tata and Nick Vujicic. You see them on the screen. Amen to them for the ways that they help those with disabilities see their abilities in Christ. Again, removing every roadblock to the gospel. Amen to the churches and the Jesus movement from the 70s. Anyone remember this thing called the Jesus movement from the 70s? My goodness. Amen to the churches who gave up their comforts and welcomed and discipled long-haired, unkept, bearded hippies. And guess what? That look is in again, so get used to it, right? Amen to all the ways that the church removes roadblocks to the simple gospel of Jesus plus nothing. I want to share a story about one of those great churches and leaders from that Jesus movement in the 70s, Calvary Chapel. And Chuck Smith, some of you know of him, some of you knew him personally. And this, I'm going to tell you a story um, that uh, they shared. Uh, no bare feet, read Ch Pastor Chuck Smith as he approached the church door early one Sunday morning in the late 1960s. Angry and sad, Chuck removed the handwritten sign 
You see, many in the fellowship he had been leading for several years were embracing their pastor's desire to welcome streams of young people. They described them as this, mostly beaded, bearded, and barefooted. Regardless of the countercultural individual's hygiene or lifestyle, they welcomed them. But the sign, this handwritten sign that someone put up indicated to Chuck that some congregants were focused on preserving the building's brand new carpet. Not us, of course, right? But they, that's what they struggled with. And at the following church board meeting, Chuck expressed his and his wife Kay's vision to impact the next generation for Christ. And he said this, we will love these kids and teach them God's word. And then Chuck challenged the leaders of the fellowship, an independent church in Southern California, simply called Calvary, Calvary Chapel. You know what he did? He challenged them to remove any unnecessary roadblock to the gospel. Bare feet, beards, beads, whatever. We're going to bring God's word, the Bible, and Jesus. Come as you are. Amen for all the ways ministries have rightly adapted the unchanging gospel to reach people. I just wonder, are we willing to do that? To remove any roadblock for the sake of the gospel? Whatever it takes to adapt the gospel appropriately for those who need to hear it. You know, in verses seven through nine, what he does, Paul highlights how the Jerusalem leaders were called to minister to the Jews and how Paul and Barnabas were called to serve the Gentiles, the Greeks, the non-Jews, but that they were all preaching the same unified gospel. And then you take a look at verse nine in particular. They, this is Peter, James, John, all the, again, the big wigs of the Jerusalem church, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, they to the Jews. And so the Jerusalem leaders would focus on reaching the Jewish community and still have a lot of the Jewish customs and follow the Jewish festivals in Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas, who were Jews themselves, keep in mind, would focus on the non-Jews and not enforce any Judaic laws, not make them follow festivals. They could follow festivals if they want, <laughs> but they don't have to. And so today, many churches try to add something to Christ in order to achieve right standing with God. It's Jesus plus some cultural baggage. Let me give you an example. I grew up in a fundamentalist church. God bless them. I had a great time in them. But I grew up in a fundamentalist church that had this, these wonderful yet very restrictive kind of attitudes. And they preached Jesus faithfully all the time. But pretty quickly, I figured out there were some other things that I was supposed to figure out that maybe weren't explicitly in the Bible that I should probably believe as well. Things like no dancing. Because I guess the Bible doesn't talk about dancing, I guess, apparently. And things like how Jesus drank grape juice, but not wine. It was really grape juice is what I was taught, like literally taught in my fundamentalist church. And we were taught in my fundamentalist church as well to look on suspicion with those Presbyterians. Those Presbyterians, they got women elders and they baptize infants. Look out for those Presbyterians, of course. And I grew up in, my, in this fundamentalist youth group and we were exhorted literally to avoid drugs and avoid sex outside of marriage because it might lead to dancing, of course, right? That'd be the worst of all sins, the worst of the worst of all sins. And so now here's the thing, I joke about it, but here's the reality. We serve Jesus. But you know what? The Presbyterians, we disagree with our Catholic brothers and sisters on some key points of doctrine. 
on communion. Very different views on communion. And, and guess what? The Baptists and the Presbyterians, uh, the Baptists don't think us Presbyterians should talk about predestination, even though it's in the Bible. Like, let's try to avoid that part. We disagree in all kinds of important things. And then you have newer church pointing at some of us a little bit older churches and saying, you have too many committees, which is kind of true actually though. So that's the, that's the one thing that is a little true. We all have different things, right? But can we all focus on Jesus? See, God is calling us to unity around him, around his gospel. See, that's why, because I'm so committed to this unity around Jesus and the gospel, I spend time every month with other pastors from other churches. We have different doctoral stances on certain things, important things to me, important things to them. But you know what? We end with prayer. We want to glorify God. We want to make disciples. You get it? We're different. Oh, but we're unified. You know, just this morning at Shoreline Church, Pastor Kevin, a new friend of mine, Pastor Kevin, they prayed for our church. They prayed for me specifically. I want to bless our Shoreline brothers and sisters and bless Pastor Kevin and his staff. Thank you for partnering with us around the unity of the gospel. Isn't this fun? We get to do this together. You get to join us to keep focusing on Jesus. That's why, uh, because of this unity, uh, I'm spending time with Pastor Ronald Britt from Greater Victory Temple. We're becoming friends, and he's going to come preach here in October, the first black preacher at our church. And I'll be the first Asian preacher at his church. This is going to be fun. Yeah, we have disagreements on stuff. You know what we agree on? Jesus, Lord and Savior, King of Kings, and he's coming back to take us home, and we're going to live every day for his glory. You get what we, you get? What we, get? <laughs> we disagree on all kinds of stuff, but we agree about Jesus and the centrality of him, and we need to humble ourselves before him every day. Even as we fellowship, we think, you know what? Maybe I, am, I could be wrong on that doctrinal point. Yeah, I could be wrong. That's a gospel humility that we're all choosing to take. I might be wrong, but I know we're right about Jesus the way and the truth and the life. God is calling us to unity, even as we adapt for our different areas and different, uh, different focus here or there. Amen. We're all different. But we keep the gospel central. Now, I want to highlight, as we look at this text, there's, there's a problem. You can over-adapt or under-adapt the gospel. You can over-adapt or under-adapt. Now, Paul's critics were claiming, Paul, you have Overadapted. You've lost the gospel completely. You've watered it down for these Gentiles, these non-Jews, these Greeks. You've watered it down. Your gospel is weak. You have overadapted the gospel. Make them follow all of our rules, all the blessed rules that Jesus himself followed. He was a Jew. All the original disciples. We, we've been following these for years. Make them follow the same things we've been doing. And Paul says, no way. That's my version. No, not going to do it. No way. It's Jesus plus nothing. But there are two cautions about adapting the gospel. Some churches have overadapted the gospel to a modern world by removing, get this, of course, offensive things. Offensive things like Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Well, let's just tone that down because my friends will understand it better if you kind of say, any way is a way to enlightenment and God. So let's, let's remove that. That's an over-adaptation of the gospel, right? Or let's remove the offensive element like miracles. 
that, that God really answers prayer because, you know, a lot of prayers go unanswered and it's kind of awkward when God has answered them. So let's play that part down. That's an over-adaptation of the gospel, right? It becomes a non-gospel, basically. Because then the only gospel you're left with when you over-adapt, removing offensive things from the gospel, it, then it becomes, oh, you just need to be a good person. Uh, but without Christ's death, without Christ's resurrection, you're stuck in a world where you must prove yourselves worthy then. Without the cross, you have to make up the difference. The cross is saying, you can never make up that difference. Perfect, holy God, the simple gospel. We're broken. We're sinful. Oh, yes, we're beautiful. Oh, but we needed someone to come rescue us. Don't over-adapt the gospel by removing the offensive things. It'll never get us near to God. But it's also possible to under-adapt the gospel, to be so stuck in a particular doctrinal position, okay? Do you have to believe this or else you're not close to God? Well, you, you're, you need, you've been under-adapting. You need to move a little here. You need to stretch a little here. Or sometimes it's even the under-adapting is you must like this musical style or something like that. You must like this cultural expectation. But the reality is both of these ways, you can under-adapt or over-adapt and you lose the gospel. Let's keep a focus on Jesus. Let's keep a focus on the unity we have in Christ. You see, legalism says when you under-adapt that real Christians always do things this way and avoid these certain things. Real Christians. This is how real Christians vote. This is how real Christians spend their time. This is how real Christians uh, uh, spend their leisure time and the way that they spend money. This is what real Christians do. That's a legalism. But over-adaptation says, believe whatever you want as long as you're sincere. What makes you feel good? You see the problem? In both instances, you've lost the gospel. You've lost Jesus along the way. The Bible, when you read it, study it, submit yourself to the Holy Spirit's authority in your life, will not lead you astray to over-adapt or under-adapt. It'll keep you focused on Jesus, glorifying God, making disciples, following him with our whole lives. Paul was determined to keep this simple and clear gospel message Paul was determined actually to let you know there are demands in following Jesus. It has lifestyle implications, of course. But Paul was equally committed to adapt the medium of that message and get it down to the bare essentials. You see, Paul was so committed to demonstrate the nearness of God to the Gentiles, to these non-Jews, by himself, Paul, coming near to them. He spent time in their homes. He, he decided himself to try to remove as much of this Jewish expectation so that non-Jews could come to know Jesus. Paul took the one true gospel of Jesus plus nothing and brought it right to these non-Jews who never knew they could get so close to the Jewish God. They had no idea that they had to go through all of these rituals and follow all of these rules. And Paul says, no, Jesus came near to me and I'm coming to you to let you know there's nothing else you need. Surrender your life, confess your sins. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Call him Lord and Savior. Give him your life. That's it. No more rules. No more festivals. You don't have to do any of that. And like Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, I believe Paul was so focused on removing any barriers that would keep people from coming to know the Savior Jesus. So I just want to pause and ask this again. 
Are we willing to live our lives like that? Remove any unnecessary barriers to the gospel. That would be a life lived well. I'm going to conclude with verse 10. And I was very excited when I read verse 10 because as I'm going through Galatians, I'm just seeing what the Lord brings. And this is what he brought. Verse 10. Only they asked, the Jewish leaders asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul goes with this big doctrinal deal, right? To the Jewish leaders, to the big dogs, brings Titus. They have this great ending where they basically say, you don't have to follow any of the Judaic laws, none of the Torah in a legalistic way. Yes, honor our Jewish tradition, but none of it is required of the non-Jews. It's Jesus plus nothing. But you know what? Just don't forget the poor. I love that little line, actually. Don't forget the poor. So Paul recounts to the Galatians that the Jerusalem leadership affirmed the very thing that Paul has been saying, that any gospel that claims it's Jesus plus something else is a false gospel. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus food restrictions. Jesus plus animal sacrifices. Jesus plus cultural expectations. That none of these are part of the simple and true gospel. The only thing that Paul was asked to do was remember the poor. I want to make two points quickly. What does this mean? First of all, the Jerusalem Christians that Paul was visiting, they were poor. They had many, many, many widows, apparently. The, the Roman persecution was particularly bad in Jerusalem. And so it, you can imagine the kind of things that would happen to these Christians who are now being ostracized. And they're experiencing poverty, likely, for their commitment to Jesus as Jewish Christians. And they say, don't forget about us as you go out to these other parts of the Roman Empire. And Paul, you would see actually throughout, you read the rest of his letters, he actually makes great efforts as he's planting churches and, and churches are growing and these Gentiles are becoming converts. He purposely raises money from them and brings it back to the Jerusalem church as a way to bless the Jewish brothers and sisters, as a way to show unity, unity through sharing of their abundance with those in need. Don't forget the poor, Paul was told. That's, that's the one thing we want you to not forget. And I just think, what a wonderful way to wrap up this beautiful section that's talking about the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of Jesus, the, the importance of, of, of holding things loosely that aren't core to the gospel, right? That's talking about uh, the cautions of over-adapting and under-adapting, right? That's celebrating the ways that we're breaking down barriers for the sake of the gospel-reaching people, but with all of this great things of reading and studying God's word, don't forget the poor. <laughs> I love that. I love that reminder for us because one of the things I love about our church is our commitment to the Bible. I love that about our church. We love to read it. We love to study it. We love to preach it. We love to listen to it. But you know what I love about our church? We love to live it. And guess what the Bible talks about? Don't forget the poor. <laughs> Don't forget about the least of these. Don't forget about the widows, the hungry, the children, the orphans, the hurting. Don't forget about the oppressed. Don't forget about those in prison. Don't forget. As we study and live and love God's word, don't forget to live out God's word. I love that about our church. We love to read and study God's word, but we love to live out God's word. I love that about our church, the way we live out the gospel by caring for the poor and those in need. 
Maybe some of you know, you know, our Yellow Brick Road thrift store was started decades ago and over the years have donated millions of dollars. That's millions with an M, by the way. Millions to organizations and individuals in need. Beautiful. I love that about our church. Every year we, we contribute 225000 to missions outside of our church. It's local and regional and global. Amen. Many of them going to ministries in very needy places. I love the way you donate to Martha Henry's food pantry. We fill up the bin right here to my left. I just visited her the other day, just smiles on her face. She says, thank you, CPC. We couldn't do this without you. It was such a, oh yeah, this great moment. I was there and these three kids showed up and the kid, this boy was hugging celery and told me, I love celery. Thank you so much for doing this. He said, this is awesome. And I brought up this used backpack from, we were just clearing out my daughter's room and had butterflies on it. And she's, I guess, kind of done with butterflies. And, and this little girl, her younger, the younger sister, six years old, I guess, is with eyes wide open. The brother said, this could be your backpack. And she ran over and grabbed it and she unzipped it and she started filling it with the free little, uh, the library that's there, filling it with books. And she started throwing books. She was literally throwing books in there. I had to show her like, no, you, you know, Keep it all together. All the pages are getting squished. I showed her how to put it neatly, you know, in her new backpack. So excited. And they were thanking me. Well, I'm thanking you. And your life and your generosity is the way we thank God. Don't forget the poor. I love how some of you have partnered with the fire victims in Kashawa, giving them hope in this time of loss. So as we say true to the preaching and teaching of the gospel, of God's word, the scriptures. We never forget to live out God's word. We don't forget the poor. We don't forget those in need. Yes, inside the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, and outside of the church as well. Don't forget. Don't forget a world that's walking behind us, which I know that they need the gospel. Don't forget we have a world all around us that is in need. And God may have placed you on this planet in this time, in this region, for this purpose, to share his love in practical ways. And so would you pray with me as we give glory to God? God, thank you so much. We believe you're present. We know, Lord, as these cars are driving by and people are walking by, your word does not return void. But we're trusting, Lord, you're planting seeds. Lord, we're trusting you're planting seeds in us that we might take hold of the reality of the truth of this gospel of grace through faith. Oh Lord, may some of us may be even listening right now. If we've never responded to your call, Lord, would you recognize how you're calling us to say yes to you, to confess our sins, uh, to confess our separation from you, our need of your salvation. We can never be good enough or moral enough or enlightened enough to get close enough to you. Lord, forgive us for even trying to be legalistic in some way, trying to add something to the gospel. Lord, receive us as we are. We surrender to you. We receive your grace. We step forward in faith. We know it's not us. It's all about you. Lord, I pray for anyone who has uh, asked you to enter into their life that confessed their sins and said yes to you. Would you strengthen them, connect us with them? And I pray for all believers listening right now. Would you renew their faith? May they know that you are never far May they know that it's a simple, true gospel, this unifying gospel. It's all about you. Would you use us, Lord, to continue to, yes, live out your word as we study it. Show us specifically, Lord, how you want us to live it out this 
week in our lives, our neighborhood, in our work, in our family relationships. Show us an opportunity, Lord, to plant seeds of hope exactly where you want them. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.